0: Hey, this is Aaron Brockett, lead pastor of Traders Point Church. Regardless of where you are tuning in around the world or if you call Indianapolis home, I just wanna thank you for tuning in to our weekly message podcast. Our prayer and desire is that God would take the content of these messages and use it to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus as you discover God's purpose for your life. What's good y'all, how are we doing today? Good, good, across all of our campuses, welcome. Glad to have you with us. My name's Petey, one of the pastors around here. If this is your first time with us, man, we are thrilled to have you. I know that it is super hard and super weird to come to church for the very first time, and so I just want to thank you for overcoming that and spending some time with us. Hope this service is a blessing to you. Hope it's not the last time we get to see your beautiful face here. Uh, But you know, our, our church mission is real simple. We want to remove unnecessary barriers that keep people from Jesus, and we've just seen that our culture, sometimes it's how we were raised. Sometimes it's been even the church that has put up some unnecessary barriers that have kept many of us from even giving Jesus a chance in our lives. And so we just wanna remove those barriers and get you to Jesus. Because we believe once you get to Jesus, everything can change. Because everything has changed for us once we got to Jesus. And, 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 and once you get there, that's kind of the starting point. And, and, and we wanna help you grow in your faith. We wanna cheer you on in your spiritual growth give you a path to follow, give you some tools and cheer you on. We, we, we can't do spiritual growth for you, but we wanna give you a path to follow. And that's largely what Growth Track is. Growth Track happens after every service at every campus, a 30 minute class, great way for you to get connected and start growing here. And that's super important to get connected here and, and to be involved because church is so much better when it's not just something you observe, but when it's something that you're really a part of and you're really on mission with. And so that's our desire for you. But you need to know that we're a church that celebrates with those who celebrate and we grieve with those who grieve. And I feel like it'd be a miss if we didn't grieve with some people that are grieving today. My fellow Kentucky Wildcat fans across every campus, we're growing in number, blue gets in everywhere. And our fellow Purdue fans grieving. Can we just like put our arm around each other and just hug? It's a sad that We were robbed, okay? We were robbed of what could have been an epic Final Four matchup between Kentucky and Purdue. We were robbed of that. And so if you're sad today, I'm sad with you. Uh, but the way my family grieves, the way we console each other is with a simple little phrase. It's called, at least Duke lost two. Can I get an amen from the congregation? <laughs> if you're a Duke fan, I am not sorry. In the slightest. In the slightest. Hey, we're in a series called Gains, Gains, and we're trying to get some of them spiritual gains uh, to become the strong men and women that God created us to be, to maximize our impact, to make the biggest difference we possibly can with this one life we've been been given. And the way we're doing that is we're going through this book called 2 Timothy. It's a a letter that the greatest missionary ever, the the Apostle Paul, wrote to a young up-and-coming leader named Timothy, And, and he's given Timothy everything he's got Say, Timothy, I, I, I want you to maximize your impact. I want you to become the leader and the man that you were created to be. And so we're coming alongside this letter. and We're going chapter by chapter, and we're learning from that today to see how we can grow and get the kind of gains uh, that, that Paul wanted Timothy to get. So go ahead and grab a Bible. Get to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you have a device on it, you can find 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. And uh, while you're turning there, let me give you a little snapshot of where we're going. Oftentimes when we have a goal in mind, when we have a purpose, uh, when we're we're trying to be the people we know we ought to be and make the difference we know we ought to make with our lives, some things get in the way uh, of that. Some things distract us from that. Sometimes it's the desires of the moment, right? Like if if you've, you've ever had a goal in mind, isn't it so interesting that sometimes like you have a goal and you know who you should be, you know what you should do, but man, your desires in the moment run completely counter to those values, run completely counter to that plan. So sometimes it's, it's, it's the desires in the moment, other times it's, it's our surroundings, it, it's our environment, it's the people and the places we put ourselves, that you know, we, we may wanna be this kind of person, we, we may wanna make this kind of a difference with our lives, but our surroundings sometimes uh, make us turn into different people and cause us to, to not be the people we know we ought to be. One, one NCAA coach recently put it like this, when he, when he was asked how he is gonna prepare his team for the tournament, he said, I'm trying to get my players to not play to the moment and not play to their surroundings. Right, like it, it, players, it, it, if you play to the moments, the moment may be so big that it just overtakes you. The lights are too bright, the pressure's too intense and you end up playing in a way that you never wanted to play. So d- d- don't play the moment and, and don't play to your surroundings. I mean, we've seen plenty of teams in this tournament get knocked off because they play down to their competition, they play down to the level of those around him. He's like, I- I'm trying, trying to get my players to not play to the moment, not play to their surroundings, but instead to play to their training. Play to their training. At all of our campuses right now, turn to your neighbor and say, play to your training. Play to your training. Now turn to the neighbor that you didn't like as much and say, play <laughs> to your training. Y'all can work that out later. Play to your training. That's what we're going to talk about today. And this is what, this is what Paul is going to get to Timothy, is that Timothy, you, you, if you're going to maximize your impact, you can't play the moment and you can't play it to your surroundings, you're going to have to play to your training. So let's jump in. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one. Let's go. It says this, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and they'll have no self-control. They'll be cruel and they'll hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless, be puffed puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Paul says, Timothy, here's the deal. In the last days. Now, when we hear that, we can't help but think like, I mean, when I read that, I think like the movie, the, uh, the, uh, movie trailer voice, like, in the last days. And we start thinking like post-apocalyptic, like zombie stuff, walking dead. We start thinking like doomsday bunkers. Like, if, by the way, if you've got a doomsday bunker, hit me up, because I would love to see. I'm like semi-interested and obsessed with, with, with doomsday bunkers. If you live next to somebody, who has a doomsday bunker, you should for sure like sell your house and move because that person is a psycho, okay? (laughs) You you need to move. If you have one though, hit me up because I want to see it. (laughs) But in the last days, in the last days, Paul says, here's what's gonna happen in the last days, Timothy. People are gonna be ungrateful. (laughs) People are gonna disobey their parents. People are going to talk bad about each other behind their backs. And you're like, wait a minute, the last days, Paul, that sounds like, that sounds like my workplace. That sounds like my neighborhood. That sounds like my family. That sounds like me. Are you telling me we're in the last days? And and yes, actually, Paul is saying to Timothy and to us that we are in the last days. The last days began when Jesus ascended to heaven, sent us his Holy Spirit, and put us on mission. But I know you're thinking, okay, last days, that was like 2,000 years ago. Well the Bible says that to God, a thousand years is like a day. So to God, it's only been like a couple of days, but we're in the last days. Don't get tripped up on the last days part. Don't get tripped up on like, oh my gosh, is the world gonna come to an end? No, no, get tripped up on how crazy familiar that list of behaviors is to us. Get tripped up on how every single one of us find ourselves in that list of behaviors. You see, because that list is what happens when we play to the moment or we play to our surroundings. That, that, that's exactly what happens. Author David Platt uh, did a commentary on 2 Timothy and, and in it he points out that Paul mentions three loves in this list of, of things that are gonna happen. Three loves, what, what, what Platt calls the three misguided loves. And they're exactly what happens when we play to the moment or we play to our surroundings. And like in the moment, we've got some desires, we'd never speak them out loud because they're, they're awful. We've got some desires, right? And the, the, the first one Paul mentions is, is narcissism. We've got some tendencies. And, and, and he says you'll love the, the people will love themselves. Like in the moment, we've got a, a space in our heart, and nobody likes to talk about it, but come on, let's cut through the, the spiritual stuff for a second, and let's just get real. There's a space in our heart that sometimes, in our darkest moments, we overly obsess with our appearance. We overly obsess with with our platform. We overly obsess with our power and our, our recognition and our fame. There's this narcissistic side of us that in the moment can distract us from being the people we know we're supposed to be. The, the second one he mentions is, is materialism. It, it says that they'll love their money. And again, like no one wakes up and says, I'm going to be materialistic today. But there's a dark place in our hearts, right? There's this space in our hearts that, that when we, when we, when we get real honest, when we're by ourselves and we're just thinking about life and we, we start to think about things like, man, how, how am I gonna have enough to retire? And we start worrying about this stuff. We start worrying about upgrading our standard of living. We, we, we obsess over the next pay raise and the next promotion. We, we, we have this, this materialistic side where it's just never enough, right? We, we love our stuff and we'd never say it, but in the moment, it, it's, it's there and it distracts us. Or the third one he mentions is hedonism. It says that we will love pleasure more than God. And I know when we hear that, we often think of sexuality, right? And there's certainly that space in our hearts that goes there, but hedonism and the love of pleasure is so much more than sexuality, so much more than that. I mean, it's the need to constantly be entertained. It's the need to never be bored. Oh my goodness, if there's something that we as Americans hate, it is to be bored, we wanna be constantly stimulated, constantly entertained because there's a place in our hearts that instead of being the people we should be, instead of making the difference we should make, man, let's just like binge watch Netflix for a little bit because there's, there's a part of our heart that just loves it. And, and that's what happens when you, when you play to the moment. We all, we have to admit, we have some desires that run counter to the purpose that we were put here for. But even on good days, right? Like you, you have some good days where you're like, all right, I can I cannot live by those momentary desires. Even on those days, you live in a world where you're surrounded by the stuff. You're, you live in a culture that is constantly pulling you towards these three misguided loves. I mean, th- this is the way that every major marketing agency, every, every advertisement is, is, is playing off of these misguided loves. Narcissism sounds like this. You need to be. I mean, how many, average, how many things you get sold to say, oh man, if you could only be stronger, if you could only be skinnier, if you could only be healthier, if you could only be more disciplined, if you could only be more successful, more wealthy, then you'd be okay. And our world pulls us to these things. Our surroundings pull us to these things. Uh, materialism says you need to have, oh, if you could just have the latest technology, if you could have the latest fashion, if you could have the latest gluten-free, non-GMO organic food, then your family would be healthy and they'd never get sick and they'd never die. Give us your money. And our world just pulls us to this stuff. Like, we think if we don't have, we, we're not going to be okay. And hedonism says you need to feel. I mean, goodness, if you scroll through social media, the way some people act and the way that some people advertise us, it's, it's as if if our weekend doesn't look like what the fire Festival should have looked like, that we're, like, missing out on life. Like, if you're not sexually satisfied at all times, if you're not happy at all times, if you're not traveling at all times, if, like, you're not, like, you need to feel, you need to experience, and until you do, you won't be okay. You see, we can maybe conquer the, the in the moment desires we have sometimes, but then we get sucked into the world around us and the people around us and our surroundings prevent us from being the people that we know we ought to be and, and making the difference we know that we ought to make. But man, not only are these misguided loves and this, this playing to the moment and playing to our surroundings. And not only does it distract us from our purpose, it's actually destroying us. Look at most of the, the, the most horrific tragedies and, and, and horrific events and evils in our world. And they're, almost all of them are tied to one of these misguided loves. The, the love of self, the love of power, the love of money, uh, the love of pleasure. I mean, almost every evil out there is tied to one of those. I mean, think about your life personally. Think about the sadness you've experienced. And think about how it's tied to playing to the moment, playing to your surroundings. I mean, think about your divorce or your parents' divorce. Someone in that relationship had a misguided love. So, someone in that relationship was, was playing to the moment or they're playing to their surroundings. Think about when your, when your addiction got out of control. And, and the people that it hurt along the way, it, it was attached to one of these. I mean, the Think about when you burn out in your job. What, what motivated you to work that long and to, and to just run yourself into the ground? It, it, was a, it was a misguided love. And you looked around and it just seemed like that's what everybody was doing. And secretly, you kind of wanted to do it because you wanted to, to get the promotion. And like We justify these things, but it's killing us. So just, it's, it's, not, it's not just limiting our potential, it's destroying our lives. And the hard part about this, y'all, is that we know the solutions. <laughs> you ever watch a basketball game? I, I apologize, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use more basketball analogies because I'm still mourning and grieving, okay? So if you don't like basketball, I apologize, but this is what you get today. You ever watch a basketball game and your team's losing or they lose the game and you know exactly why they lost the game? Like you're sitting on the couch like, oh my gosh, don't turn the ball over. And we win the game! Or the worst, the worst is free throws. Free throws. They're called free. They're giving them to you. Just make them and we win the game. Like we know the solution when we see it. And and the same is true here. We know the solutions to these things. We know that instead of living as narcissistic people, that we ought to walk in humility. And we we know that. We know that that the solution, what the world needs is people who will not think less of themselves, but just think of themselves less. And look to other people first and consider others as as just as important or more important than themselves and not have so much ego and so much pride. I mean, can you just for a second envision the world with everyone walking in humility? It's like all of the tension and all of the drama and all of the evil, like it all just starts to like, if everyone were walking in humility, can you imagine? And it's so beautiful because Jesus embodied it I mean, Jesus was the perfect picture of humility. I love how Paul writes it. Paul says that that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or leveraged. Like Jesus was God in the flesh, but he, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or leveraged. No, no, he humbled himself and became like a servant to all. It's amazing. Jesus was the perfect picture of humility. You see, we know, we know that instead of living in materialism, we need to walk in generosity. We know that's the solution, right? We know it. I mean, like, we know that we should not be always concerned with, with just padding our standard of living, with, with padding our 401Ks. We know that we should walk in generosity and help meet the needs of people who are less fortunate than us. That we should be generous with our time, generous with our money, all of that. Like, we know that. And again, can you imagine what the world would be like? Can you imagine how much poverty would be alleviated if we all walked in generosity? If we all lived it out, if we all looked to give first instead of to get, can you, just, oh, can you imagine for a second how amazing the world would be and how much less suffering we would see in the world? And, and, and Jesus modeled it. Oh, Jesus was so generous. Jesus always had a heart for the poor. And, and think, about, think about the concept. Jesus had all the riches of heaven at his disposal, yet he left it all he bankrupted the vault of heaven to show you and I love. And when you and I needed grace, he didn't give us just a little bit of grace. He gave us all the grace we could ever need and more. When he stretched out his arms and he died on the cross, he said, I love you so much. I'm gonna love you more than you, more than you ever even need to be loved. I'm gonna love you so much that it'll never run out. I'm that generous. It's amazing. And, and, and we know, we know. We know the solution that we should not live in hedonism. We should not let the pleasures of the, of the moment make us do things that we, we, we regret. No, we should, we should walk in integrity. We know that. We know that we should be the same person through and through. We should live by the same code of ethics no matter what's going on. We should have the same value. We should be one man or one woman. No, no, no two-faced stuff going on. We should, we should do the right thing when no one's watching. We know that. And again, just think about your workplace for a second. Think about your school for a second. How much different, how much better would the world be if everyone walked with integrity? Man, oh, it would be just, it'd be amazing. It'd be incredible. And Jesus was the perfect example of it. The, 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 The word tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, tempted in every possible way that you and I could ever be tempted, yet he never sinned. He never veered off course. He stayed true and faithful to his heavenly Father. I mean, aren't you grateful? That the God we serve, that Jesus, the one who this whole thing is founded on, who we come to sing about every single week, is the perfect embodiment of the kind of leader that this world needs. That Jesus is the perfect embodiment of all the solutions that would make this world a a much better place. Aren't you grateful that Jesus loves us that much? That he said, I'm going to give you an example to follow. I'm going to give you everything you need. That if you'll just come to me, I've got all the solutions. He's the perfect picture of it. There's nobody like him. There's nobody like him. And I think at times we just need to like stop and appreciate that—that that there is. Find me one other person in the world that is perfectly humble, perfectly generous, and full of integrity. There are none like him. He's unmatched. But now, if we want to, if we want to not play the moment and not play to our surroundings, we're gonna to have to like get some of those gains. Like we're gonna to have to become humble people, generous people, and people full of integrity. We have to be more like. More like Jesus, because we don't, we don't roll out of bed doing those things, you know? <laughs> like, those things don't come easy. Like, you gotta train for those things. You know, like, go back to the basketball thing for a second. If I'm sitting on the couch, like, make your free throws! Very easy to say, but if you put me in that moment, like, they call a timeout and say, hey, we got this guy who's coming in hot from Indiana, and he is, he is not happy about the free throws. We're gonna put him on the line and put the jersey on and see how he does. All of a sudden, I'm there, front end of a one and one, Trip to the final four on the line. I got pee running down my leg. I mean, I'm not ready for this. Are you kidding me? I was just on the couch. It's because I didn't train for it, right? I didn't train. I, I, and, and these guys train for it all year long and the moment still overtakes them. You see, you're not gonna get these kind of gains if you don't train for it. It's gonna take hard work. Paul would write to Timothy in his first letter to Timothy that you ought to train yourself for godliness. Train yourself to be godly that physical training is of some worth, but training for godless, oh, it is of such worth, has benefit in this life and in the life to come. If we're gonna get these kind of gains, it's gonna take training. It's gonna take hard work. And so what is the training that Paul's gonna to prescribe to us? Jump down with me to verse 10. Verse 10, he, he's gonna lay out the training that Timothy has been following. See, Timothy's been on this train for a while, and so Timothy's actually ready to step into his purpose and be, and, and be the man that God created him to be. But this is the train that you and I need to really take a close look at. It says this in verse 10. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You, you know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You've seen it, right? You, you know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, but, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil people and impostors will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But here's the deal, Timothy you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Because all Scripture, Timothy, is inspired by God. One translation says it's God-breathed, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. And it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, we just read a whole bunch of verses. Let me condense it for you. Paul saying to Timothy, Timothy, you know the training you followed, and your training is very simple. You had an example to watch and a guide to follow. An example to watch and a guide to follow. That, that was your training, Timothy. He says, Timothy, you, you had an example to watch, you had me. Paul says, you, you, and, and you watched me. You saw how I carried myself in moments of intense persecution. You saw how I carried myself when, when, when all the spotlight was on me. You saw how, how I carried myself when, when I was all alone. You watched my example. And now as you go out to live for, for Jesus and to make the difference you were created to make, you need to remember what you saw. It's one thing to, to be told what to do. It's another thing to see what to do. And Timothy, you had an example to watch, but Timothy, you also had a guide to follow. Timothy, you've been taught the Bible from a young age. You've got it in you. You've obsessed over it. You've internalized it. You you love the word, and you know that it's not just like an ancient textbook. You know that it's the very breath of God. It's the inspired word of God, and it's powerful. It's going to show you exactly what you need to do. uh, One verse says that the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword, that it'll pierce through and reveal the motives of your heart. It is such a a powerful thing, Timothy, and you've got to depend on it. You've got to depend on it. It's where your power is going to come from. You've got to stick with the guide to follow. That's the training. You had an example to watch and a guide to follow, an example to watch and a guide to follow, back and forth, back and forth, and that produced the kind of gains that Paul knew Timothy needed. And, And the same is true for us. This is the training, if we wanna train ourselves for godliness, we need an example to watch and a guide to follow. You and I need someone to watch. We need someone that's a little further down the road than us in spiritual maturity to observe, to, to take notes on, to say, oh, that, that's how you follow Jesus. Oh, okay. We need an example to watch. We need to see what it looks like to live the faith out in the 21st century. And I'm not talking about finding someone who's just older than you. It's not necessarily about age. Paul would write to Timothy in his previous letter that you should let no one look down on you because you are young, but you should set a what? Set an example. Set an example for all the believers in in the way you live, in your speech, in your life, in your faith, in your purity. It's not really about an age thing. It's about a spiritual maturity thing. You and I, no matter how long you've been following Jesus or how, how short you've been following Jesus, we need to humble ourselves to come up under someone and say, hey, you're further along than this in me. And I, I wanna watch you and I wanna learn from you. I wanna be taught by you. I, I, I wanna be discipled by you. We need an example to watch as part of our spiritual formation. We need to be discipled by somebody. We need to be led by somebody. And this is why it's so important for you to get on growth track. We would love to help you get connected to a group a group leader with plenty of examples that you can start to watch and start to get to know and start to grow alongside. That's, That's part of the reason growth track is so beautiful, but you need it. You need an example to watch, but you need to follow the guide. You need to obsess over the Bible. If you want the kind of gains that we're talking about, they don't come if you are not just consumed with God's word. I have never met someone who is a strong Jesus follower who's making a difference with their life that isn't also consumed with the word of God. I've met people that, are, that read the Bible a lot and it doesn't always result in life change. Let's, let's make sure that we clarify that. Just because you read the Bible a bunch doesn't mean that you're gonna become a world changer. Some people read the Bible a lot and they're heathens, crazy people. But that doesn't mean that the, if you wanna be a world changer, it always, the common denominator is always that you have a deep, passion and a love for God's word. King David in Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm going to hide your word in my heart, God. I'm going to treat it as holy. I'm going to treat it as sacred. I'm going to obsess over it. I'm going to trust that it's not just an ancient textbook, that it's literally your words to me, God. And I'm going to consume it day and night. I had one mentor that used to say, Bible before breakfast and Bible before bed. I'm going to just consume it all day long. I'm going to hide it in my heart that I might not sin against you. When I do that, it's going to result in fruit in my life. You need an example to watch. And you need to be consumed with the Bible. And we can help you with that with our daily Bible reading. We'd love to get you connected to that. But this is what it takes. This is the training. And I stand before you today as a a testimony to to, to this training. This is is largely my story. I, I was blessed with an example to watch. I'd been following Jesus for about four years. I'd just gotten into full time ministry. My first boss was a guy named David. David is now a church planter in North Carolina, and David is like Paul to me. He is like a hero of the faith to me. But man, when, when I first got, got to know David, my wife and I started following his uh, he, he he and his wife around. I mean, it was like we were like little nerds following them around with like pen and paper, just taking notes on their life. Like just following real close. Like when they'd stop, I'd like run into them. Like I was just wa- I was watching I was watching every move they make. Like, okay, this is what it looks like to, to raise kids to know Jesus, okay? I don't have kids yet, but I'm going I'm to take notes on that. And much of our parenting now reflects the parenting that I saw in David and, and Kelly and how they raise kids. And, you know, I, I, I'm taking notes on that. Okay, this is what a godly marriage looks like, okay? This is what it looks like to put your wife first and to prioritize your relationship with her and to treat her as the bride of Christ and be willing to sacrifice everything for her, okay? Okay, I'm going to take, take notes on that. Okay, like, you talk about humility, one of the things that, that's going to help us be who we were created to be, oh, man, I took notes on how David did humility. I oh, mean, I took notes on how when he detected pride in his heart, he would call it out, set it on the table, talk about it, and confess it. And in, in effect, kill it. I said, okay, okay, that, that, that's, how you, that's how you stay humble. This is how you think about others first, okay? Uh, generosity. Oh, man, everything I learned about generosity, I, I learned from David. I watched a guy take a, take a, wasn't making a ton of money as a pastor, and I watched him stretch that money out and be such a wise steward of his money. Never wasted a dime, but he stretched it out so much so that he was able to support his family. He was able to tithe, and then he even had margin to give above and beyond that when God called him to. I was like, okay, okay, this is what generosity looks like. I mean, I saw he and his wife open their home up to people. Oh, they just opened their home wide up to people and said, come on in. We'll, we'll take you in. We'll, we'll, we'll make you dinner. We'll make you feel at home. Okay, this is what it looks like to be generous with, with my home and with my time. Okay, I'm going to take notes. And you want to talk about uh, in, integrity. Everything I learned about integrity I learned from, from David. I, I, saw, I saw him when he wasn't living with integrity, and I saw what it did to his life, and I saw everything change for him as he be, be, became a man full of integrity I saw a man who was saying, uh, uh, Kelly, his wife, hey, you can check my phone at all times. You have complete access to my phone. You have complete access to my social media. You have complete access. There is nothing hidden. I saw a man who every time he would sin against someone, he was bringing it out and confessing. The man was always confessing sin, living with complete integrity. See, integrity is not being perfect. Integrity is owning it when you're not perfect. And and I, I just took notes on it, left and right. And man, I'm telling you, who I am today is in large part because of the example I had in David. It's weird sometimes. I'll catch myself like saying something or doing something. and I'm like, whoa, that's David. What in the world is happening? But that, that's how powerful it is when you have a good example to watch of a follower of Jesus. And I'll tell you when you know you've really got a good example to watch is when they, in your worst moments, point you back to the guide that you're supposed to follow. You know, that, that's what Paul did to Timothy. He's like, hey, Timothy, you, you watched me. But you also need to be consumed with the guide. And that's what David did for me in my worst moment. You know, I'll never forget the hardest conversation I had with David. Um, I remember where I was, man. I, I, remember, I remember the table we were sitting at. It was at a little restaurant in central Kentucky called Ramsey's, some of the best down-home country cooking you'll ever get. It's that place that makes every vegetable lose all nutritional value because it's fried that much, which is how a vegetable ought to be prepared. And though the food was good, the conversation was, was hard. Because remember, I came into him that day, and I was just being honest. I was like, man, I'm in one of the worst spots of my life. I'm going through my first wave of depression. I'd never dealt with that before. i just lost my job as an associate pastor at a church in Seattle. And I'd moved back to Kentucky with my tail tucked between my legs. And uh, my marriage wasn't doing great. And honestly, I just didn't feel a thing. I didn't feel like following God. I didn't feel like being married. I didn't feel like being in ministry. I just felt like giving up on everything. And I remember sitting across the table from him and saying, so what do you do now? Like, what do I do now that I don't hear God's voice? I don't feel God's presence. I have no desire to keep going. Like, I I just want to give up on on it all and start over. What do I do? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Petey, I don't have like great answers that are like what you're going to want to hear. The only answer I have for you is that you need to get alone with God and you need to go back to the Bible. You need to just pour yourself into it. You need to get alone with him and you need to let him speak to you through his word. You need to read his word over and over. And I'm telling you, I did not want to hear that. I felt like that was just like a Sunday school answer. But it was, it was right. Because let me tell you, when I finally came to embrace that and I, got, I started getting alone with God again, now, I started reading his word, not for a sermon, not for a job, not for any of that, but just because I wanted to get to know him, God started to rebuild me, started to rebuild my faith. He started to rebuild my marriage. He started to rebuild my ministry. Everything began to change because I got consumed with the word of God. It, 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 it became everything to me. It was, it was all I cared about. And that combination of an example to watch and a guide to follow, it picked me up out of a mess and set me back on solid ground. And I'm just here to tell somebody today at, at, at one of our campuses that's going through a mess right now that hope is still alive. If you'll follow this training, it'll strengthen you. If you'll follow this training, it'll pick you up and put you back on solid ground. If you'll follow this training, it'll give you strength to overcome things that you, that you honestly right now don't think you'll ever be able to overcome. It's the power of this training. And I know, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing. <laughs> An example to watch, that's what you want me to do, Petey? An example to watch. I've watched examples before, and they failed me. I know some of y'all are here, and you've got an example in mind of someone who said they were a follower of Jesus. And when you really got to know them, you saw they were a complete fraud. I mean, one of the biggest criticisms of the church is it's full of hypocrites. So, like, you you want me to watch an example? I've had examples that have failed me, and I I recognize that, and I I affirm your pain, and I've been there before. I've, I've seen that. And there's some examples that are complete frauds. But I'm I'm here to break some bad news to you and some good news. The bad news is you're never gonna find a perfect example. There are none. They're all flawed. They're all all messed up. But the good news is you you don't need a perfect example. You need an example that when they succeed, their eyes are fixed on Jesus. And when they fail, their eyes are fixed on Jesus. You need an example that that when they hit rock bottom, they apply the gospel to themselves. See, it's so important for you to understand that a flawed example does not disprove the gospel, it proves the need for the gospel. You need to understand that that there is so much power in seeing someone fail and then seeing them apply forgiveness and grace to their own lives. You need an example that's gonna look look to Jesus, fix their eyes on him, no matter what happens, in victory and in failure, in success and in defeat, fixed on Jesus. This is what Paul would say. Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, Paul was not perfect. This is is the same Paul that would say things like, what I wanna do, I don't do. What I don't wanna do, I do. Dude was messed up. And he still said, follow me as I follow Christ because he knew that even in failure, if if you're you're coming the way I'm going, if you're looking at what I'm looking at, you're gonna end up looking at Jesus. You're gonna fix your eyes on him. And that's where the strength comes from. And I, I know what you're thinking about the Bible. Again, let's just cut through Let's cut through the spiritual junk for a second. When I say, if you want to become the man or woman God created you to be, you've got to become obsessed with the Bible. I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. The Bible is hard to understand and it's boring. he can't say that in church. Yes, we can. It's hard to understand at times, but there are answers. You gotta push through. You gotta become, a, like nothing worthwhile in this life comes easy. You gotta commit yourself to being a student of the word and finding the answers that you're looking for to understand what you don't understand. And I'm telling you, the answers are out there. And if you get bored with the Bible, man, that says nothing about the Bible. It says everything about you. I get bored with the Bible. I get bored with Netflix. You understand how crazy that is? These studios are spending millions of dollars to entertain me for 90 minutes. I put on a movie after the kids go to bed and 30 minutes in, I'm like, oh, we go to bed, this is boring. It says nothing about the movie, it says anything about like our attention spans are tiny. See, uh, what I find is that when I read the Bible and I get bored, it's because I, I'm not reading the Bible with the right purpose in mind. See, like I think sometimes when I get bored reading the Bible, I, I, I forget and I, I start to think that it's a book of history. I, I start to think that it's a, it's a book full of like uh, fortune cookie wisdom and man, the Bible is, from, from Genesis to Revelation and every book in between has one purpose and it is to fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the goal of the Bible, to get you to know Jesus, to get you to see how amazing he is, to get you to love Jesus. It's all about fixing your eyes on Jesus. And when you'll read the Bible with that purpose in mind, oh my goodness, come on now, the, the words will pop off the page. Meaning will pop off the page. You'll be so excited to read the Bible because it, you know it's gonna lead you to Jesus. That's how you start to read the Bible and and, and really see this training make sense. I'm telling you, that's why this training is effective. This training works and will make you into a strong man or woman of God because it will fix your eyes on Jesus. An example to watch, fix your eyes on Jesus. A God to follow, fix your eyes on Jesus that Jesus is the one that's gonna get you the gains. Jesus is the one that's gonna strengthen you. Jesus is the one who's gonna grow. You can't change your heart. You, 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 you can't change who you are. You can't, you can't make yourself any more mature than you are. You gotta to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I open myself up to you. And I ask you to, to, to give me the strength that I need, to change me from the inside out. And when you'll fix your eyes on him, strength is on the way. I, I, I wanna give you a chance to ask him for that strength today. I wanna give you a chance to respond to him in this moment, would you at all of our campuses stand to your feet? And with every head bowed, every eye closed across all of our campuses, I wanna give you a moment just to talk to God about this. If you're here at at any one of our campuses and you feel like you've been playing to the moment, uh, you've you've been letting the desires and temptations that, you, that you're facing in the moment, make you do things that you know you were never created to do, and prevent you from becoming the man or woman that you know you're supposed to be. If that's you right now, I want you to raise your hand as an act of confession between you and God. This moment's for you, not for anybody else. And put your hand down. If you're here and you found yourself, not, maybe not playing at the moment, but playing to your surroundings, and you've been letting the people that you hang out with or, or the culture that at, at, at large mold you and form you into someone that you know you're not supposed to be and do things that you know you're not supposed to do and, and prevent you from fulfilling your purpose. If you've been playing to your surroundings right now, I want you to raise your hand as an act of confession between you and God. Put your hands down. Let's pray together and ask Jesus for strength. In this moment, Jesus, we come before you and um, we're begging you for strength. We're confessing our weaknesses before you and we're fixing our eyes on you. Jesus, your word says that you are the author, the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. And for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. Jesus, would you give us that kind of strength? Would you give us the kind of endurance and strength that, that, that you had, that, that enabled you to stay focused? Jesus, you never played to the moment. Jesus, you, you, you never played to your surroundings. If you had, you never would have gone to the cross, but you did, and we're, we're forever grateful. We're forever changed, and we're asking you for that kind of strength right now, Lord. We ask you to meet us in our circumstances. Meet us in our weaknesses. Give us the strength that only you can give. Change us from the inside out. Asking for it right now. Asking for what you need. Believe that He can do it. We trust you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.